Recognizing the limiting factors on your land and in your climate is important in agriculture. A short growing season, a lack of heat units, and usually a lack of precipitation are some of the limiting factors we have to contend with here in Alberta. It does vary depending what part of the province you're in though. So we grow things that don't require a lot of heat or don't require a lot of moisture like potatoes, wheat, grasses. It's all about taking that limiting factor and turning it to your advantage, which is exactly what Steve Heckeroth did with his electric tractor. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're talking to the creator of one of North America's first battery-powered tractors. In December of 2019, I sat down with Ontario agriculture producer Tony Neal of Wheelbarrow Farms to talk about his electric tractor. At that time, I thought he was the only Canadian agriculture producer who had an electric tractor, but I recently found out there's a few others. If you listen to that episode, so episode 28 of our podcast, you know Tony loves that tractor. Everything from the silent driving experience to the lack of diesel fumes and the fact that anytime Tony needs to fill up his tractor, all he needs to do is plug into his electricity that's being generated from his solar array meant that Tony had nothing but good things to say about the tractor. If you're still not convinced that electric tractors are practical or feasible for agriculture, here's what Steve Heckeroth, who designed Tony's tractor, had to say about electric tractors. Uh, Tractors are the ideal electric vehicle. They need the weight and they need the torque. So I can pull a, a diesel tractor with a hydrostatic drive with double the horsepower. I can pull it away like there's nothing behind me. Steve went on to say that at zero RPMs, you can get maximum torque from an electric tractor. Steve is a CEO and founder of SelectTrack, a California-based company and the company Tony bought his electric tractor from. Steve might actually be North America's first designer of an electric tractor that can run solely off a battery. I know John Deere has an electric tractor, it's called GridCon, but that one requires a cable to supply it with power. Steve tractors don't. Before we dive into this episode, I want to address the elephant in the room right off the bat. Can this actually work in a province like Alberta? We're the province of big agricultural machinery, and the biggest tractor, or the most powerful tractor that Steve has, he's still designing it, so it's not quite complete yet, it's 70 horsepower. So that's perfectly fine to do like a, a veggie operation or an acreage probably not the best thing to work land or quarters of land that have been seeded to canola or baling hay on a full section. His tractors actually have baled hay though. But that grid contractor from John Deere, that's 400 horsepower. So who knows, maybe battery powered tractors will get there one day. Or maybe I'm just asking the wrong question. The e-farmer is working about um, five to 40 acres. and if you uh, had more more land, that, like if you had 100 acres, you might have three e-farmers, you know, and have three people working, working them. That's what they used to do. They used to have a lot of smaller tractors doing different operations. The nice thing about the e-farmer is it has a front hitch, a mid hitch, which is a tool carrier for cultivation, and a rear hitch, which 
has a PTO just like your normal hitch. So you can do three operations with one pass. So you can get a lot more efficient. Or you can swap battery on the front if you got a heavy implement on the back, or if you got something heavy, a mower on the front, you can swap battery on the back. So you can have continuous operation that way. With the 70 horsepower, I'm gonna have a hitch on the front and a hitch on the back, and I'll have a big, bigger battery pack than I've got. It'll probably be in the range of uh, 50 to 60 kilowatt hours. So it'll go for eight, eight or so hours um on it, heavy operations and then you can swap out a pack so and in the time that that pack is charging you can use up the pack that you're using and then go back and get a fresh pack so there's really no no time limit the utility's been used for baling hay um i haven't the e70 uh, narrow, it's the 70 horsepower, is still in development. So that, that one isn't out there yet. The e-farmer has, uh, has done all kinds of things. Um, you can see some pictures of it. I got, got it with a cultivator, a, a bucket, a loader on the front, a cultivator in the middle, and a cedar, a planter on the front, I mean on the back. So uh, you can do just about anything you can do with a uh, uh, that's an equal size diesel tractor and more. If there's anything you can learn about agriculture from this podcast, it's that you can't deal with things in isolation. You got to take a broader view. You could take a look at Steve's tractor and think, nope, too small, not enough power, won't work for me. But if you broaden your own view and recognize some of the advantages of an electric tractor, you might be able to adjust some of your management practices to suit this type of machinery, if it makes sense for you. So it's not the tractor, it's the management factor. I'm going to patent that one one day. Before we jump into Steve's story, which is pretty interesting, he's a kid who grew up in LA, became an architect, and then became a tractor designer. And before we jump into the story of the electric tractor, uh, Steve had some thoughts that he shared with me about what COVID-19 is going to mean for agriculture and our food system. So we'll hear those first, and then we'll jump straight into how the electric tractor works. Before we begin the interview, I do need to point out that, you know, Steve, he's got some pretty strong opinions and beliefs, and these opinions and beliefs are his own. They are not the opinions and beliefs of SelectTrack. Also, at the end of the episode, if you feel SelectTrack's a company you want to get behind, uh, SelectTrack's actually got a crowdfunding campaign going on right now. Uh, just go to the website to check it out. Well, I think there's going to be a whole shift um, with the climate crisis and uh, with food security. We're finding out that our long food, food supply chains are, are not working very well. And... Uh, local food is going to make a lot more sense. Um, I use a, a geared transmission from a diesel tractor. I use the front end, same wheels. Where the diesel engine was, I put in a motor box um, that's half-inch steel plate. So it's very strong, it replaces where the engine was. And the motor's about the size of a watermelon compared to a diesel. It has one moving part. 
has maximum torque at zero RPM. A diesel weighs about 400, 500 pounds. It has uh, three to 400 moving parts, all have to be lubricated. So there's a ton of maintenance. Electric motor, you put oversized bearings on it and you have an 80 year motor without any maintenance. So there's huge, huge maintenance advantage with electric vehicles. And then there's the uh, battery pack, which uh, I've switched to lithium iron phosphate, which is the lithium that doesn't burn, which is kind of an advantage. Um, and uh, they get about three to three, 3,000 to three, 300 and 3,500 cycles per charge or per, uh, per uh, their lifetime. So, uh, the, the old lead acid I was using was good for about 400 cycles. So now we're, we're almost uh, 10 times that. A cycle is uh, discharge and charge. So whenever you do a complete discharge and then you plug it back in and charge it fully up, that's one cycle. So uh, we're talking about 3,000 or 4,000 cycles um, and you're using it less than half the year um, for uh, in in charge cycles so uh, you can go 10 to 15 even 20 years I asked Steve right here if the tractor comes with a PTO and I also asked him if he'd found a way to make PTOs less dangerous he has by the way Absolutely, yeah, it's it's built into the transmission, so it's a 540 PTO just like the regular transmission, but you don't need a clutch because the electric motor stops by itself as soon as you stop. It only uses energy when you're going. When I take it out to do uh, grape harvesting or or something or uh, transplanting, the people are just amazed because, uh, like in harvest you pull forward for 10 seconds and then you leave it parked for 10 minutes and you're only using energy for that 10 seconds. Whereas the diesel tractor is idling loudly all day long. And uh, it's the first time people have been able to talk to each other while they're harvesting grapes because the diesel engines are so loud. The electric tractor is 2000 times quieter and we got that, we took it back to Nebraska testing labs and they did the sound test on it and they said it was the quietest tra tractor they'd ever tested. It's a logarithmic scale, so it's not a direct scale. Uh, diesel tractors are at 95 decibels and the electrics at 65 decibels, which is about normal speech. Um, and uh, because it's a logarithmic scale instead of a, you know, a, a direct scale, it's 2000 times. I put the electric motor right on the implement. So you don't need a PTO. You just plug the implement into your battery and uh, you have a little switch and, uh, and away you go. So uh, there's no need for a PTO. But a lot of people like to use their legacy implements, you know, so uh, the PTO is, I've found it's necessary for for all the implements that are already out there. They don't want to replace everything. But uh, if you're starting fresh, definitely uh, 
look into putting an electric motor on the implements. And then, then it doesn't matter where you mount them, you can mount them on the front, which is the best place for mowers. You know, they put the mowers in the back because that's where the hitches are. And that means you run over what you're mowing with all four wheels before you mow it and you lay it down and then you go over it and it pops back up. But if you put your mower in the front, like a harvester or, or, or uh, a reaper or sickle, sickle bar, you put that in the front and then you get, get your whole crop and you can throw it off to the side in a nice, nice row where you can uh, bale it or whatever you're going to do with it. And uh, your wheels don't roll over the crop. So it makes a lot more sense to put mowers in front. Here Steve explains the three different tractors that Selectrac manufactures and how repairs work. Uh, but hint, these things are super low maintenance. He also gives us a cost comparison between an electric tractor and a diesel tractor. And lastly, he describes the driving experience. If you listen to episode 28 of our podcast with Tony Neal, who's an agriculture producer in Ontario, you'll get an idea of what the driving experience is like as well. Sure. Uh, the CET is what it is, it's compact. It's a small 25, uh, 30 horsepower equivalent um, tractor. It's uh, only about um, 45 inches wide. You can get it with uh, several different tire types. Um, you can use, if you're using it for mowing, you can get a turf tire. If you're using it for uh, like loader applications, you can get an industrial tire. If you're using it for agricultural applications, so you have an ag tire with it. But it's basically for like uh, the small farms, the hobby farms, where uh, somebody retires and they move out to the country and they want a compact tractor to, uh, to do the chores, make it a lot easier. It can tow around a trailer, it can uh, have a loader on the front, and uh, it can do have a rototiller for your garden and uh, those kind of things. So it's the CET is mainly the hobby farm and uh, smaller applications. The e-utility is the next size up. It's about a 40 horsepower equivalent, about 25 horsepower at the PTO. Um, it does, uh, it's a two wheel drive. So it, the, the CET is a four wheel drive. So it gets around a little better on hilly places. The utility is mainly for flat ground. Um, I initially thought it would be the ideal tractor for um, vineyards, but uh, they want one tractor to do everything. And some of the jobs they have, like I took it out for demo and they loved it for harvesting and, and hauling things around and stuff like that. But uh, when they put some of their big discs on it, the front of the tractor came off the ground. So. <laughs> So, uh, so that was, uh, that was a learning experience. That's why I'm going to the 70 horsepower, which is going to weigh a lot more and have a front hitch on it. So you can put the batteries up front, you know, now, uh, you buy a tractor and you get a, a weight, uh, bumper on, on the front there where you can put these 80 pound weights and put a, put 10 of them or so. So you get 800 pounds up front. So when you put your heavy implement on the back, you've still got some pressure on your front wheels for four wheel drive. And usually uh, those weights, they put them on and they leave them on. So it just makes it harder to steer when you don't need them. But uh, 
with my uh, front hitch and my exchangeable battery pack, you can put the, the weight on when you need it and uh, the battery can go, go on and off just like an implement. It's actually uh, a three-point hitch just like for a regular implement. So you could uh, put a mower on there with its, uh, with its own motor like we talked about, or it can have a low lift loader or it can have an exchangeable battery pack when you're using a heavy implement in the back. And uh, that um, utility um, is gonna, um, I make it with a loader and with a front hitch for exchangeable packs. So it's got a lot of, lot of different utility applications. The eFarmer is specifically designed for row crop uh, cultivation. So uh, that, uh, that was actually my goal in the beginning um, to um, give food security to all kinds of people all over the world where you'd, you'd drop down a container with a solar array inside and mount the solar array on it and pull the, put the tractor together and pull it out and be farming. Anywhere in the world, totally independent of fossil fuel and, uh, and you know, most of the developing world does not have a good fossil fuel infrastructure. So if uh, we could get them uh, to leapfrog fossil fuel and go right to solar, which is the cheapest source of energy now, solar is cheaper than any other source of energy. So uh, they could go right to solar and power their, their tractor. And the tractor can also be used with exchangeable packs and an inverter to run, uh, be a mobile power source. So you could, you could power it up by your solar array and uh, take it to a clinic or, or a school or your house and power your whole house from the tractor. I got, uh, you could have two 30 kilowatt hour battery packs on board. One is uh, the onboard pack and the other exchangeable pack. So you power your house for weeks. Well, one thing I've done is eliminated the hydraulics for the hitches. I've gone to uh, what they call linear actuators. They're ball screw actuators that use a really small motor. They're about 20 times more efficient than hydraulics. It's, um, it's a, like a little six amp motor that lifts 2,000 pounds. You can believe that. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, if, if there was ever, there's not too many things to go wrong. There's only one moving part in the motor, and that's pretty much a lifetime motor. Um, the batteries have a battery management system on them that protects the batteries during charge and discharge, so they're pretty well protected. You'll have to replace that every 10 to 15 years, just like you would in a diesel engine, but there's no maintenance in between. About the only maintenance we've we've had with from people is that they would blow a fuse now and then, and uh, so uh, it's it's something to look for and figure out why the fuse blew, and uh, and we usually try and figure that out and uh, and adjust things so that uh, they don't blow fuses anymore, and or we put a breaker in. Uh, the one of the problems is that it's it's hard to find 48 volt fuses for the linear actuators so we've been using 12 volt fuses and they blow pretty easily so uh 
So we now found some uh, 30 volt breakers and haven't had any trouble since then. So there's just not many, uh, many, many maintenance issues. On the diesel side, however, um, I don't know if you kept up with uh, California's tier tier four final program, but they're, they've got particulate filters and uh, computers on board and uh, farmers can no longer work on their tractors, which really upsets them. Um, they, only the dealer can work on them. And they'll be going through the field and all of a sudden they'll stop working and light will come on and tell them what the error code is and they have to call the dealer and the dealer comes out and puts his computer on the tractor and I was, oh, it needs a new filter. It needs this or that. And then they got to go order the part and pretty soon a couple of weeks have gone by and your, your crop is rotted or something. Well, depending on where fuel goes, you know, uh, the price of diesel is pretty volatile. It can be be $2 one day and $5 the next day a gallon. Uh, but uh, I think we're going to look at a spike here because uh, the uh, tar sands and the oil shale, which was making uh, North America pretty energy independent, have all gone bust now because of the uh, the cost of oil went negative there for a while. And, uh, and now it's still down pretty low. It's down below what they can make it for. So it's not like the old days and like Saudi Arabia just pumps it out of the ground and refines it right there. Um, with uh, oil shale or the tar sands, they have to frack somewhere to get natural gas, pipe that natural gas to the tar sands or oil shale to melt that into something that can be piped somewhere else. And then, uh, then they have to, it's, it's a much, it's not nearly like the sweet crude that they used to be able to get out of the ground and very little refining. There's a whole lot more refining that has to be done. So the amount of cost um, is from 40 to $80 a barrel just to produce the stuff. And so if, if uh, oil goes down to $20 a barrel, all those companies are out of business. And that's happened twice now. So I don't know how the investors are gonna feel about investing billions of dollars again. The, the governments are propping them up now with all these, uh, you know, that's a really sad thing that's happened is that there's these small business loans that are supposed to be helping out during the, the pandemic and the uh, big corporations sucked up all that money or a lot of it. The drivetrain efficiency is, uh, like I said, um, hydrostatic drives are about uh, maybe a Third as efficient as uh, as gears because they're they're fluid drives. They're not. Uh, there's no direct connection. There's like two discs running in oil, and you spin one disc up, and that spins the other disc. So they're very convenient because you can you know there's no grinding of gears when you shift. There's no need to shift 
it's like an automatic transmission in a car and you know how inefficient those are um if you ever wanted to race when you were a kid you wouldn't use the automatic <laughs> you would use a stick shift because uh it's got direct gear drive whereas uh fluid drive is not doesn't give you the torque so uh so the efficiency of the drivetrain is is um is is one thing is is the uh the gears but the other thing is the diesel engine um like 65% of the energy in the fuel is goes off as heat immediately doesn't do anything for the work that you're doing and then there's mechanical losses and there's drivetrain losses and then there's idling losses idling losses can be huge in some applications like harvesting when you're parked for 10 minutes waiting for the bins to fill and it's idling the whole time you're using power the whole time so in some cases you can be like 95 percent more efficient than a, a diesel and then there's also with an electric motor there's something called regeneration whenever you're putting on the brakes or you're going downhill the motor is turned into a generator to charge the batteries so you can get about 15 percent of the energy that you use going uphill when you're going downhill put back into the batteries it's like having a little spigot into your gas tank going downhill and it's so you can get more than 100 percent efficient <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing the uh, efficiency difference between uh electric and diesel but they don't care they just keep building bigger engines and uh and paying more but but it's it's starting to cause a lot of pain when uh, the price of diesel goes up and and their uh fuel bill starts to be as much as their mortgage you know the other thing is uh if you put in a solar array to uh charge your tractor that's a one-time cost and that solar array is warranted for 25 years so there you have the cost of all your fuel for 25 years in that solar array so if you put in a four four kilowatts of solar that's your your total fuel cost for 25 years which is pretty amazing so <laughs> compared to the up and down price of diesel who knows what you know what i what i see happening is because all the uh oil shale and the, the tar sands have been bankrupt now uh, as soon as uh we come out of the shutdown and lockdown and people start driving again which sort of started happening um the price the the glut of oil is going to subside and the price is going to start going up again and and those oil shale and tar sands operations aren't going to be there to take up the slack we're going to have to start importing oil from Saudi Arabia and everywhere else again. And the price is, it's going to be like the seventies, you know, where, uh, we're no longer in control. Well, you can see some of the videos on there. Tony is, is pretty happy with the, the noise factor and, uh, he doesn't have to breathe in all that exhaust all day. Um, he says he can work six hours on the tractor and it 
before with the diesel that would really wear him out and he'd feel really exhausted in that amount of time and he couldn't understand why people would do it once once he's been on an electric he can't understand why people would go back to a diesel so we're getting a lot of a lot of good feedback uh especially um like horse arenas and uh any place around livestock you know diesel tractors um Horses are very, their lungs are very sensitive to the exhaust and you can, they, they don't really recover once they've, they've uh, breathed in so many particulates, they just stay in there and they, uh, they affect the horse the rest of, of their lives and shorten their lives. So uh, running diesel tractors around an arena is actually damaging the horse's lungs. and. Uh, they do that between each event. They run out the diesel tractors and run them around the arena. So getting the electrics out there in the uh, equestrian centers has been really, um, really a great thing because uh, the horses don't, aren't affected at all, either with the emissions or the noise. There's, there's no noise, so they're not affected. So it's a great market and um, the vineyards and the, the equestrian centers have the money to buy new equipment. So uh, unlike farmers, um, you know, it's really hard to be a farmer. At this point in the interview, I asked Steve about other electric tractor manufacturers, programs in California that support agriculture producers in transitioning to electric tractors or other low-emission tractors, and I asked him for his thoughts on the future of farming. Well, up until about four years ago, I was the only one in the world. So, uh, and I'm still the only one in North America but there's quite a few in Europe now, but they're building bigger tractors. The, the manufacturers in the Western hemisphere are, uh, are more concerned about you know, the profit and uh, the profit margins a lot higher on the bigger tractors. So they're mostly focused on over 100 horsepower tractors and their smaller tractors that they sell are rebranded from China or India or Japan. So. Uh, so there is hardly any manufacturers of not only electric, but not any manufacturers of small diesel tractors in, in North America. I'm scaling up to 70 horsepower and that might be as high as I go because uh, it's hard to fit enough battery energy on, um, on a tractor to uh, do too much more than that. Um, John Deere came out with a 400 horsepower uh, electric tractor prototype but if you looked at the size of the battery and the amount of energy that they used at 400 horsepower it lasts about 20 minutes so uh so they came out with another one with a cord <laughs> and a big big spool <laughs> of, of uh extension cord it was like i don't know must have been half a mile long extension cord. <laughs> uh, that was one of their solutions. Um, I don't think that it is a solution. In Europe, they're making around 100 to 120 horsepower tractors, but they cost 100 to 120 thousand dollars each. 
so they're having trouble selling them to the farmers uh they've switched to selling selling them to cities you know some most of the cities in europe have to meet cer certain carbon emission goals and so uh, one of the ways they can do that is switch their fleets to electric and that includes tractors so all the parks are being mowed with electric big electric tractors and and they're doing uh street sweeping with electric tractors and and uh and all the construction stuff is now going to electric in Europe. Whereas, uh, you know, John Deere has been making a hybrid tractor in Europe for about 15 years, but they never brought it over to North America because we're so tied to oil. They've got a the Carl Moyer program that pays 80% of the cost of uh, up until this point, it's paid for cleaner diesels, which uh, everybody hates the emission controls on. But now that um, we're in, we got this grant through the Bay Area Air Quality Management District uh, for half a million um, to build the E70 um, and also improve the E utility. I think. Uh, that will qualify for both the Carl Moyer and the uh, farmer program, which also pays 80% of the cost of the tractor. And the legislature has given the money to uh, the California Air Resources Board with the idea that they're supposed to spend it on the most, uh, the latest, most um, efficient zero emission, as close to zero emission equipment as possible. And they haven't done that so far. So we're giving them the opportunity to do that. I'll follow up. I'll follow up a little more with that. What, you, what if you want to uh, to have a, a California-like program up in your area? Get a hold of your legislators. You know, keep sending it, send them letters saying, you know, what the situation is. It's pretty dire, and uh, we've got to start supporting uh, the renewable alternatives that. Uh, for our for our future generations, and um, you know, don't put that money into supporting oil, and and uh, divest from oil. You know, get get all your like your teachers, um, all your uh, mutual funds to start divesting from oil and uh, putting that money in solar and uh, and wind. The young people coming up are uh, mostly small organic farmers. They see that the future is in small community scale farming, where you're serving your local community. You don't have a huge supply chain that stretches across the country. You're not producing more than your community needs. And, uh, and that's, I think, the only way we can go in the future. Because if you're like in Alberta, and you're producing crops that you need to export, because Alberta's population won't, won't uh, there's not enough people to eat what you're producing. So uh, you, you're dependent on exporting that crop all over the world. And anytime you're talking about exporting, you're talking about fossil fuel use, you're talking about you know distribution chains, you're talking about going from truck to, to ship to, to truck to 
grocery store to car driving to grocery store taking it back whereas a small organic farm can be in walking distance or bicycling distance from from all your uh, customers so you got a farm stand and people um, like we've got a, a farm big farm down the road and uh, that's where we get all our produce we just walk down the road and get it <laughs> and what we don't grow on our own place so I think that's the future. It has to be the future. Um, we're just watching now um, a tipping point. It's been over 100 degrees in Siberia in what used to be permafrost. And the methane coming out of the ground now is 20 times more powerful as a greenhouse gas. And so that tipping point is going to be really hard to, uh, to deal with. Because the more more of those uh, greenhouse gases you put in the air, the warmer it gets. The more the permafrost melts, the more greenhouse gas you put in the air, and it's a vicious cycle. And uh, I don't know. It's at some point it's going to be an unstoppable freight uh, train. That, and we're we're seeing it. I mean, that's the reason it's 100 degrees in Siberia. And the North Pole is is above freezing. You know, it's never been above freezing before. So uh, we're looking at some pretty hard times. Just local here, we've lost our kelp. We've lost our abalone. We're losing our fishing industry. Um, so we're going to be more dependent on land for our food because not only does the uh, there's the warming of the oceans is happening five times faster than the land so that the oceans are really heating up the coral bleaching the great barrier reef is 60 percent gone already and going fast um i don't like to scare everybody but you know i've been doing this for 50 years and i've been trying to convince people that you know we really have to change our ways. And now we're at a point where, where um, you know, I really feel sorry for future generations, what they're gonna have to deal with. And uh, we gotta take responsibility for that. We gotta start taking responsibility for that. By the way, getting one of Steve's tractors shipped up to Canada, I'm assuming is the exact same thing you need to do with any type of machinery from the US you wanna bring up here. Obviously, with the border closed right now, it's probably not possible. Now, we finally come to the part of the interview where we find out how that L.A. boy becomes one of North America's first designers of the electric tractor. Okay, I'm a native California boy. Um, grew up in L.A. in the 50s when you couldn't see across the street because of the smog. And so right away, I, I learned the, the lesson that... Uh, burning fossil fuel was not the right way to go. So um, when I got into college, I, I uh, participated in the first Earth Day and I, I sort of dedicated my life to finding alternatives to fossil fuel. That was uh, 1970, 50 years ago. And I've been doing that ever since. I, I'm trained as an architect. I did it with solar energy first. I uh, both uh, um, passive solar design. I designed about 25 passive solar houses and ended up doing one of the first zero energy homes with photovoltaics. Then I uh, 
worked for a guy named Stan Oshinsky, who had 400 patents. He invented the nickel metal hydride battery and the thin film amorphous solar cell. I was the director of building integrated photovoltaics for uh, eight years and designed roofing products that actually made energy off the sun. So it was a pretty fun gig. He was a great mentor, traveled around with him. Um, it had an unfortunate ending in that um, he had 14 different divisions and uh, Texaco bought into the fuel cell division. And then Texaco was bought out by Chevron and got their people on the board and kicked Stan out of his own company. And when that happened, uh, I left too. Um, and everybody thought, oh, Chevron's getting into solar. So all the stock options I had went sky high and I sold them right at the peak. And uh, that gave me the money to uh, do electric tractors. So I've been doing that ever since. Architecture is, is design. So uh, really uh, design can be applied to anything. And uh, so when I switched from designing homes and uh, buildings to designing cars, it was a pretty easy switch. I even built furniture for a while. So uh, I've done a lot of different design gigs. And uh, the main part about electric uh, vehicles is trying to fit the battery packs in a, in a vehicle. So uh, that was a big design challenge that I enjoyed. And, and uh, I was so amazed at the, uh, the torque that electric motors have. You know, they have maximum torque at zero RPM and all the way through the operating range of tractors. You can get more of Steve's backstory if you listen to the B-Reel, which comes after the credits in this episode. He's got a pretty interesting life story, and he's a super talented guy. Listening to Steve talk about electric tractors for a solid hour, and he's clearly passionate about them, I still couldn't quite figure out why electric tractors? You know, he could have stuck it out as an architect designing those passive solar houses, or he could have worked on some other climate solutions. So I had to put the question to him, why electric tractors? Well, I got kids, and I got grandkids. And um, there's three, three really essential things, you know, oxygen, water, and food. And uh, most people don't think they take them for granted. Like, when was the last time you thought about oxygen? You know, when you, when you burn a gallon of gasoline, you burn 14 pounds of oxygen. That's enough, enough oxygen to keep a baby alive for a month. Every time you burn a gallon of gasoline. So, and it creates 21 pounds of carbon dioxide which goes up into the atmosphere and stays there for a hundred years. So that global warming is going to be causing climate change and increased storm intensity and, and moving uh, droughts. Like we've had wildfires in California and, and even up in Alaska that are, uh, there's, there's wildflowers in Arizona right now that are hundreds of thousands of acres. And then we've had floods a thousand year floods, two years in a row. How does that figure? <laughs> you know, 
So, and then in, in Texas too, they had floods two years in a row. And then the hurricane season started early and the hurricanes are getting more intense. In India, they're having their hurricane season when they've never had it before, in places they've never had it before. China now has uh, the biggest flood they've had in 100 years. And they're afraid that Three Gorges Dam is gonna bust. So, you know, when you start thinking about these things and you've got kids and you care about your kids, it, it to me, it's, it's just something that everybody should, should do automatically. They should figure out how to stop using the dang fossil fuel and start using the sun. You know, it took three billion years to put the fossil fuel in the ground. Three billion years of photosynthesis and some very unique geologic events of the tectonic plates to get it buried deep enough so that we couldn't get at it very easily. And in the last 200 years, we've used about half of that resource that took 3 billion years to create. Now, how much sense does that make? And what do you think is gonna to happen to the planet? We're gonna go, we're gonna take it back at least millions of years. And, uh, and you know, there's no survival back then. So, uh, so that's why I'm passionate because I, I care about my kids and their lives and my grandkids and everybody else's too. And I think everybody should do the same. And I, I could, could have built, uh, been very comfortable building solar houses, um, but, but I decided that I wanted to do something that would make more of a difference and transportation at the time seemed to be it. And then when I, I found out that, uh, that the weight of the batteries was the biggest problem with uh, cars, and I saw that tractors needed weight for traction, I said, gosh, tractors are the ideal electric vehicle and they grow food. One of the essential, one of the three essential things, they grow food. And they can grow food using sunshine, the sun that comes up every morning. We don't have to use the sun that was created a billion years ago. We can use the sun that comes up every morning. And we can grow food anywhere the sun comes up. So let's do it. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based organization empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, and webinars. We host this podcast and a farmer's blog, and we've got the Solar Lab. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Deandra Brucehead in Kainai First Nation, Marie Galanka in Athabasca, Jen Ford in Peace River, and myself, Derek Leahy in Olds. Funding for this podcast episode was provided by Energy Efficiency Alberta. Parts of this episode were recorded in old, so that means parts of this episode were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in Métis Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the farm is usually good for the climate.
1990, there was a zero emission mandate in California where uh, they wanted everybody to uh, start using electric vehicles uh, because the pollution was so bad. And I started making electric vehicles and uh, uh, first Porsche Spiders, um, they were replica kits. I found out right away that with lead acid batteries, uh, battery weight was the biggest problem with electric vehicles. So one time I was at the county fair and I saw this big cement block on the back of a tractor that was had a forklift on the front. And I thought that could be battery weight instead of just dumb weight. So uh, I switched my whole, whole focus to tractors and uh, food and all those good things. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. So I've been building electric tractors for about 30 years. And uh, starting with uh, just uh, conversions. And then I did one for Ford New Holland, a uh, prototype for them. And I did one for a Japanese company that uh, I did four for a Japanese company that was building uh, demining units. Um, they were they were balls of chain that uh, spun around uh, 20 feet out on a boom so that it would would explode landmines. And uh, so farmers could farm their land without getting blown up. And then they could stay on and uh, be tractors for the farmers. So it worked out really good until 98 when the Japanese economy tanked and they stopped all their humanitarian effort. And then, then uh, that was kind of a, a setback. Um, and because uh, I thought we were, I was, that was going to be a real business. And then I started looking around for other gigs. And in uh, 2012, I, uh, I started SelectTrack um, LLC to uh, take them into production and looked all over the world for a geared transmission. Because in the Western Hemisphere, we most, mostly use hydrostatic drives. And those are very inefficient. They're a fluid connection rather than a direct connection like gears. So I had to go to India to find a transmission that would actually do what uh, I wanted it to be efficient. And uh, I found the company that took over the Ford tractor factory when they kicked the British out and they were still making good old Fords. And uh, that was the tractor that I used for the utility tractor that I made. And I then I designed also uh, a farm tractor that was based on the old Alice Chalmers G, where you could see in front of you what you were cultivating. When uh, the Green Revolution, which I call the Toxic Revolution, came in in the 70s, um, they started using herbicides, pesticides, chemical fertilizers, no more cultivation. So they didn't need to see what they were doing. So all the tractors now have rear hitches. Most of them don't have anything in that in the front except the big diesel engine that blows pollution on you and and is noisy as heck. And uh, and and so uh, I went back to the 50s to find tractors that the farmers could use using organic methods and um, be able to see in front of them. Um, when, what they were cultivating, what they were doing. So uh, there's now I've got a, a new tractor that's a 70 horsepower that I'm working on for the vineyards. 
I found out farmers, for the most part, didn't have enough money for new tractors. They were mostly using old tractors, um, unfortunately. But the vineyard industry, the equestrian centers, the hobby farmers, they, they have enough money to uh, try some new stuff. And the vineyards particularly are, have already put in solar. So they're well on their way to being sustainable. And uh, the 70 horsepower is gonna be designed specifically for vineyards and orchards. And then uh, with the same company in India, I made them a prototype electric tractor. They got interested in, in the electric when I started talking to them about it. And uh, they started to make their own uh, compact electric tractor, which we are now distributing in Canada and many states in the US. So that's, that's the lineup of the four tractors we've got. And, uh, and you can go on to the next question, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer, thanks. Uh, two questions came to mind while you were talking. One, where does the name come from? And two, how does a architect turn into a mechanical engineer? So you can start with one first. Uh, when I started my company in 1992, it was Electrac and, uh, and Mendo Motive because I'm in Mendocino. So we had the, the Porsche Spiders were under the name Mendo Motive. And uh, and that I sold quite a few of those Porsche Spiders. They were uh, way ahead of their time. Um, I had to find the lightest car possible, and uh, and put um, about fourteen hundred pounds of lead in it to to get a hundred and twenty five mile range. And it went zero to sixty in eight seconds. So we we won every rally we ever went to, and and beat a lot of a lot of the race cars at the time. But uh, that was pretty much squashed. I don't know if you've seen the movie Who Killed the Electric Car, but uh, in, a, in around 1995, uh, the Western States Petroleum Association and the California Manufacturers Association put $60 million into a negative ad campaign. And they pretty much squashed the electric car and put it back like 15 years until Elon Musk came along with enough money to really push it. So uh, so those two companies kind of went down the tubes um, because of all the negative publicity. I went to a fair in 94 and got 10 orders for the Porsches. And then the negative ad campaign came out and it was so effective that I, when I went back the next year, the people that came up to me that said I was a bad person for driving an electric car. That's how effective $60 million can be. <laughs> so, uh, so then when I restarted the company, I wanted to have uh, the Electrac in it, um, but that name was taken. Uh, so I put solar with it and it's solar electric tractor, that's Solectrac. So that's how the name got there. Well, my, my mission was to, uh, stop burning fossil fuel. So, uh, uh, you know, I was building about one house a year and I figured if I kept going that way, I wasn't gonna make that big an impact. So when I, after I'd built, got to the point where I could build a zero energy home, I wrote a little book about it. And uh, 
and passed it out and i said well now i've i've done that you know everybody should be able to build as their zero energy home here's the here's the um strategies on how to do it and uh you can still get that manual on how to build uh solar homes anybody wants it can give me send me an email i'll send them a copy so then uh i thought well, what's the worst source of pollution and it was transportation um that right from when i was a kid you know growing up in la the there there was no exhaust control emission control systems on those cars back then and they'd be going down the road and you'd see the smoke coming out the back and uh literally you couldn't see across the street it's like like it is in india and in delhi now where you can't see across the street or, or beijing you know those places don't have pollution controls